0: where you stand with on x that's a new personal best pike here now here's your host brett amundson we have got a wild show this week, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk turkey with a bunch of turkeys. We got uh, Corey Loeffler on the show. We got Sam Solhol. We got Ben Bredigan. We got Thor Nelson. We got David Eckhart. We got Dan Amundsen. We got Joe Henry and Eric Osberg all this week. So we this is probably the most people we've crammed into the show. And this isn't even our 500th show party yet. So next week was going to be a huge show with a bunch of people. And we got a big show with a bunch of people this week. Week 499. We'll tell you more about our big party again uh, coming up here in a little bit next week 500 show uh, guys we're going to talk about turkeys we're going to talk about cooking turkey uh hunting turkeys some tips and tricks we'll talk about some of the wildest wild game that we've eaten we'll uh we'll also talk about uh, just a little bit about turkey behavior we'll talk trapping raccoons and sanding floors with sam soul hold uh later in the show What comes with turkeys is also ticks and how to prevent ticks. So we got the Tick Terminator on the show this week. He's going to talk about what he recommends for products that you should spray on your clothing before you go hunting. And then Corey Loeffler will tell us about the new Sitka suit, the Equinox, that you can get that has also got tick repellent baked right into it. Uh, we've got a, a rainy river update from joe henry plus there was a fishery advisories meeting up at lake of the woods to talk about what's going on in the lake what's the health of the lake where are the walleye numbers at uh, what kind of angling hours was there on the lake this winter uh, joe will explain all of that and what came out of that meeting coming up late in the show and then eric osberg will join us as well too to talk about new panfish regulations and what the the regs might mean for panfish paradise if you're going to go up there and fish for bluegills uh what you need to know if you're going to fish otter tail lakes country dan who is this week's show brought to yeah, us by this week's show is brought to us by on
1: x know where you stand with on x camp grayling catch the grand slam lake trout pike grayling and walleye fish camp grayling in saskatchewan this summer otter tail lakes country find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Country com. Abel Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. Book your summer getaway this summer. Learn more at Heights.com Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this spring or summer to catch a bunch of walleyes at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Prairie Sportsman, the new season is underway. Watch episodes on the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for local airtimes and mid-migration outfitters. Come hunt waterfowl out of 10-man pits and comfortable blinds at the famous Lock Pearl
0: Refuge. Learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com. Holy smokes, you almost timed it right over It's there. amazing <laughs>
1: when it gets, uh,
0: it gets shorter. <laughs> yeah, it did get a little bit shorter this week. A couple of shows took place recently. Well, our big show is next week, the SJR 500 up at the Rainy River. We're going to be celebrating at Riverbend Resort on the Rainy, and we're watching the the river open up slowly. It's been a little bit slower than we had anticipated, but guys were fishing above the rapids east of Birchdale catch and catching fish uh, here this week, and we um, we'll get more of an update with joe coming up later in the show because he's up there right now Uh, but we are going to throw a big party it's a fish donkey fishing tournament three longest walleyes three longest sturgeon you have to download the fish donkey app to participate it's 20 bucks a guy could be you could have 10 guys in your boat all 10 of you guys will have to sign up it's not by boat it's by the person and uh, we're going to be giving a bunch of stuff away from live target from smith's consumer products so we got crankbaits. We got fillet knives. We got electric fillet knives. We've also uh, got a bunch of Onyx Elite memberships that we're going to be giving away. And and then it's also sponsored by Yamaha's Right Waters. And this is all about sustainability and promoting clean water. So the story of the Rainy River, when I told Yamaha what what the Clean Water Act of 1972 did and how the sturgeon population has rebounded since then, Yamaha's like, heck yeah, that's exactly what we're about, clean water and sustainability. So Yamaha's Right Waters live target we got some drc calls that we're going to be giving away um and uh, uh and more so find out at sportingjournalradio.com radio.com all the details that you're going to want to know about the sjr 500 show party next week or just tune in right here wherever you're watching this you can watch it or you can join us up at river bend resort and next sunday by the way This is one of the more unique things that I've done for for Prairie Sportsman on the TV show. So another new episode of Prairie Sportsman coming this Sunday night. This is what it looks like. Coming up on the next Prairie Sportsman, we go ice climbing in a unique East Central Minnesota location. Then we visit a festival full of climbers ready to hit the ice. We also visit a preschool where kids are learning about the outdoors all year round. So you can tune in Sunday night on Pioneer PBS at 7.30 p.m. to watch that or download... You can download the PBS app, or you can go to the new Pioneer, or you can go to the new Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel and watch it as well on Sunday. Or uh, look for it on a PBS station. It airs on PBS stations all over the place, and then uh, on every PBS website in the country, you can find that show at. So wherever you're watching this, you can watch Prairie Sportsman. Big news this week, you guys. uh, Regs uh, on Malax. You know, I don't fish Malax often. It's a bit of a drive for me. You know, I think it's everybody lives in the Twin cities like like, or Brainerd for that matter they like to go fish it because it's close proximity it's a world class fishery the regulations the last few years obviously have been driving people absolutely bonkers um right or wrong whether you like it or not like it what it's going to do is it's going to it's going to protect the fishery and promote some sustainability so when's the last time you guys fished i know dan you've probably fished it a little bit more than the rest of us i suppose yeah i've been out there i don't know we used to make like one
1: trip in the winter and then we've been we've hit it in the summer or spring i should say before and i love that lake it's okay i i'll I go on my own tangent about keeping walleyes and, and whatnot and i love to eat walleyes as much as the next guy but man those days we'd go to Mille Lacs and we knew we'd stay out there all night or all day and all night and we would catch a pile of walleyes and it was a blast and we'd go home. Yeah. We didn't have to clean fish in the dark. It was great. And it was whatever. And we had so much fun just catching walleyes because that's why you go fishing is to catch fish and have fun, right? It's awesome to eat a meal, but if you're so bent on getting a meal, you can go somewhere else. Nobody's forcing you to go to Mille Lacs to keep a meal. You can go somewhere else. And as we've seen the last few years, resorts are doing, decently well you know that was the big concern beforehand yeah. was that resorts would struggle well, I think they're doing doing yeah. okay some definitely struggled and some did for sure but some are there's still resorts on Mille Lacs, and this has been going on for a number of years now and uh, people love just going and catching walleyes and it's the vocal minority I think that comes out on Facebook and whatnot and has an issue with it because for whatever reason they have a gripe with the dinar or whatever they feel that they have to keep a walleye well guess what you don't have to keep walleyes nobody's yeah. forcing you to do it and uh, nobody's forcing you to go to Mille if you really want to keep fish, you can go uh, to the
0: other 9,999 lakes in Minnesota. Yeah, well, I hope it's a long term vision. And usually, anytime the DNR does something like this, you're going to make a lot of people mad right away. And it's a short term pain. But ideally, this is to protect the future and protect the walleye fishing at, at Mille Lacs. Now, do I agree with everything the DNR does? No, of course not. Do I agree with everything that's going on with Mille Lacs? It's not, I don't have a dog in the fight because I don't fish it very much. I don't, I I just, it just seems so strange to me that obviously they know more about the year classes than I do, but to keep one fish between 21 and 23, at that point, we don't normally keep a walleye over 20 anyway. So unless there's a reason to take some of those fish out, and obviously it might, maybe it's throwing a bone. If you can keep one 22 inch walleye, you get... You get some decent meat off a of twenty two inch walleye. You could you could probably get as much meat off a of twenty two inch walleye as you would off, you know, two fifteen inch walleye. Maybe. So, yeah, maybe. I mean there's there's a lot of meat. Once you get into that low twenties, there's a lot of meat on on some of those fish. But it just seems strange to keep one like that's a weird slot to me. But again, I don't know enough about the year classes on Lacs. So I know people are frustrated about this, but in the long run Hopefully that means that there'll be walleyes for our kids to catch on Mille Lacs someday or, or those people that are out there having kids. I don't know, We might. Be, I might be too late for that but we'll see. But for the future, in any case, uh, giving them sustainability out there, I don't know. That's, that's all I can think of. So right now, this is the way it goes. A one fish limit from may 14th so fishing open you can catch one walleye 21 to 23 through may 30th or one over 28 but let's be honest you shouldn't be keeping anything over 28 unless the fish dies on you at that point then you can keep it but uh, you should be putting those fish back anyway uh more more or less i know some people will argue with me like ah they're not really reproducing very well at that point but if you're going to mount it a replica or a picture is going to be better in the long run anyway. For sustainability of your, your trophy mount, a replica or a picture is going to do better anyway. So I'm a promoter of putting those fish back. After a summer of catch and release fishing. So June will be catch and release with an early July closure to reduce hooking mortality. And then the one fish limit is expected to return September 1st. So, those are the new regs. You can keep one walleye from May 14 to May 30, 21 to 23 inches. Read more about it at sportingjournalradio.com. Well, everybody's gearing up for turkeys. We're going to talk about turkeys, but a few of us out there are still chasing snow geese around a little bit. We went on a snow goose hunt recently, and uh, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to sit next to David Eckhart in a snow (laughs) goose blind right here. so that's one of the videos but that was a flock that that right there is why you want want to have a tube because all those shots going off of those birds and we we dropped one and sailed one but if you look at the other flock flock of snows that we got here you will see you might have to fast forward just a little bit but uh, yeah, here we go. You'll just watch the carnage coming out. It's not even carnage, it's just wads and- Well-placed shots. Yeah, all the shooting. This was actually pretty good shooting, but you'll see you see what it's like to sit in that. Here's, okay, one, two, three, four, five. Just so many shots going off right next to me. But we dumped those first four, and then I think three out of the back flock. But I want to know how many, what the shot to uh, kill ratio was on that one. We're
1: keeping ammo businesses. Yeah, (laughs) we definitely are.
0: Look at all the geese in the background, too. I'll tell you what. Uh, we shot like 10 birds or whatever that day and somebody's like oh only 10 birds and it's like you know know what we saw though like the amount of birds that we saw all the darks all the ducks it's not always about putting up a big stack and we had a great time with some friends uh, that that we only see about this time of the year All right, so you get to use a tube when you hunt snows and the reason for it is because (laughs) they want you to shoot as many of them as possible but sometimes you need all those shots and it's so funny David's like hey ready for this (laughs) here we go I got a lot of shells to kick out. But the strategy I always tell people is you pick out a bird on your first shot, you pick out a bird on your second shot, and then when snows start to get shot at, they'll kind of ball up and turn. And when you got a tube like that, you just aim for the middle of that, that wad of birds and just pop, 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 just pull the trigger as fast as you can. And you'll start to see them drop out of there. But, uh, David, do you use that tube in your turkey hunting? I do not. No, I, that would be a lot
2: of shelter. <laughs> turkey load's expensive. Yeah, expensive. Right? Do you even, do you
0: use a shotgun or are you mostly I, the bow?
2: Mostly with the bow. Yeah.
0: You're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy uh, you know and one of the reasons that I've become a believer in starting to use a shotgun because I would like to use a bow for, for turkeys and it just, it's tough unless you're on real good stuff and you're, you got birds coming in close it can be real frustrating but you also have to almost have a, have to have a perfect shot with that bow on yeah. those turkeys so where, where are you aiming um, right for the crease
2: on the wing there or I follow the legs straight up and then into the body just a tiny bit but there's a lot of feathers on those birds and that you're aiming for about the size of a softball so it can it can be pretty tricky to get the right spot i've had to chase them down before with not perfect shots or you break the legs and they ended up flying off somewhere and you find them piled up but uh no yeah. they're they're tricky i would i've been kicking around the idea of getting into the guillotines going for the head shots because those birds don't go anywhere but
0: <laughs> yeah well they might flop a little bit yeah they'll flop around they don't a go bit. anywhere yeah. yeah well there is a good shot right there but you did have one turkey that you had to put a second arrow into it sounds like yeah
2: yep at the first shot i thought it looked good but after i got the bird and cleaned it i found that it had hit the wing bone and deflected off that and just went through the breast meat and didn't even phase it. I think it thought the Jake, yeah, there was the first shot. I think that it thought the Jake attacked it or something because it just went right back to. And you didn't miss, you hit him there. I hit him there and yeah, it looked like a good shot placement but you can see the arrow take a hard left and that bird just went right back to attacking the decoy. And then I ended up getting a good second shot on it and it only went 30 yards and tipped over.
0: Fortunate that you were able to get that second shot before it yeah. bolted. Hmm. Well, there you go. Um, you, are you going to stick to stick to shooting a bow at these things? You're going to switch
3: yeah. to shotgun?
2: No, I, I I like shooting with the bow, and I like it gives you the opportunity to hunt the full yeah the full season. season so right. you travel a little bit. You hunt South Dakota. I have. I used to hunt every year. Uh, I'm hoping to go to the Black Hills this year. Hmm, that'd be sweet. That'll probably be shotgun. Just because it's such a short trip but no i'm looking forward to it
0: well we got more turkey talk coming up we've got uh cory loffler sam Soholt, ben Bredigan, thor nelson and us all gonna talk turkeys and dan's gonna tell his his turkey story of uh his first time ever bow hunting and i told him just to prepare for disappointment and he's told the story on the show before but if you haven't heard it he'll tell it later in the show we've also got joe henry coming up with a rainy river report and uh also eric osberg is going to join us in fact joe's going to join us next to talk about lake of the woods and the rainy river eric osberg from otter Tail lakes country will come on and anytime you go turkey hunting or being or anytime you're in the outdoors this time of year tick prevention is very very important so the tick terminator has some tips on keeping those ticks away and he's all coming up on this week's show 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. OnX, know where you stand with OnX all right this is sporting journal radio thanks for tuning in on this station here by downloading the podcast or by watching this wherever you get your favorite podcasts or youtube or facebook or all that good stuff it's our it's our 499th show ladies and gentlemen we're celebrating number 500 next year next year next year, next year. it's a long time between shows wow. Wow. it's one show a year and we've been doing it 499 times we're very old uh, we're going to be celebrating our 500th show next week up at Lake of the Woods at Riverbend Resort. And uh, Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism has been with us for for longer than anybody. And uh, we, we love getting fishing reports from up there. And we're so excited to hear what you've got to say, because I know you're up at Lake of the Woods right now. We want to talk about mm-hmm. the Rainy River. Everybody is just sitting on the edge of their seats right now, waiting to find out how the ice is doing up there. But... More importantly, uh, you were up there for a fisheries advisory meeting
4: today. Uh, what did you find out Joe? You know, uh, the, the Minnesota DNR puts together a lake of the woods fisheries advisory council, basically to, you know, uh, not, not only uh, hash out what's going on with the fishery, what are they finding out as far as, you know, pressure on the lake, creel surveys, uh, netting, um. Seining, which are getting, getting a, the small young of the year fish in the spring, you know, all that information that they put together and try to get a good synopsis on what's happening with Lake of the woods. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people on Facebook that are experts. I'll tell you. No. Oh, yeah. But for me personally, I, you know, I, I kind of made the comment, you know, if, if I, if we didn't have the DNR biologists, who are out there working, you know, every single day trying to put together an idea of what's going on with our fishery, everything would be, Um, you know, it would be be non-factual, right? It would be happenstance. And, you know, uh, they they do, I think, a heck of a job putting together information. And there's different opinions when it comes to the DNR, but I'll tell you what, uh, we sure feel lucky to have them. You know, um, in a nutshell, you know, we, we have a couple of year class of walleyes that we knew coming through were lower um, recruitment, meaning their spawning classes weren't real, real strong. And that those are your 14 to 17-inch walleyes. So we know that we're not as high in the population of 14 to 17 inches. But I'll tell you what, fish that are bigger than that and fish that are smaller than that, you know, we're, we're in really good shape. Um, on top of it, you know, taking a look at the pressure on the ice this year, you know, all the statistics aren't in yet, but if you recall last year, we had approximately... Mm-hmm. million angling hours on our ice um this year we believe that it's going to be more around 2.5 million so just a little Mm. bit of a drop but still extremely significant you know um this is kind of an uh, interesting statistic i always hear or i see on facebook of course but people say how many houses are there fish houses on lake of the woods Five thousand, ten thousand. There's got to be ten thousand or more. I know there is. Well, my uncle told me that he talked to somebody. He said there's ten thousand houses. Well, the DNR is out there counting and, and trying to get a good guesstimate, guesstimate based on everything they know, and they believe on a, the busiest of weekends, we probably have about thirty-five hundred fish houses. And you know, if you figure out three people per house, we're looking at about approximately ten thousand, ten thousand five hundred people, and uh, that would be on the busiest of, of weekends. So just to give an idea of what kind of traffic we have 4,000 people in Lake of the Woods County all by itself. So on any given day, we got two and a half times that out on the ice. Well, that's
0: fishing pressure is obviously a topic of discussion right now. When you look at some of the special regs that are going on, on some of the other bodies of water, it's an important thing. And, not everybody thinks it's as important as it is but that's what happens if you if you have too much pressure on a body of water you 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 could definitely hurt it in the long run as far as fish fish populations go so it's important to have some of those regulations uh put in place so you have some sustainability i know some of the limits have kind of changed in the last couple of years and spring went to catch and release on on the rainy river do you foresee any other changes coming out of this um out of the recent data
4: no no uh, the dnr does not see any changes coming here in the near future and you know again they think that uh, you know they're, they're not saying the lake is you know better than ever but it's better than many many years hmm. and they're also saying the lake is very sustainable right now so you know if you uh, if you take a look at the uh the, the the breeding fish the the mature males and mature females we're in really good shape as far as those fish go and that's our sustainability you know they did say that when we get so much fishing pressure, uh, let's say ice fishing, you know, if you got 10 walleyes in a bathtub and you have two people fishing those 10 walleyes, and all of a sudden you double it, there's four people fishing. Some of what's happening is, you know, you're simply reducing how many fish each person catches by the traffic on, you know, on the ice. And that's some of what's going on. The other topic that I thought was very interesting, and this is coming from a biologist's perspective, but one thing that's very interesting is when they talk about mortality of little fish, you know, there's a lot of talk about when when you're catching these little fish while you're ice angling, how much mortality there is. And the topic was brought up, and it was real interesting because they say that, as an example, and this isn't a hard number, this is just an example number, but if you, right off the bat, small fish have a lot of mortality anyway. And then all of a sudden let's say you have 15 percent mortality on small fish let's say that you're catching a lot of small fish out in the ice and let's say that that's five percent mortality the dnr biologists believe that that five percent wouldn't be added to a normal 15 percent mortality it figures into the whole equation so that if you're getting five percent mortality as an example from catching a little fish through the ice that you're probably still going to have about a 15 percent mortality mark hmm. with yeah, a small fish because small fish are so susceptible to to dying anyway for different things so it's it just the, the whole thing is very interesting hearing it from you know a biologist's point of view i know that not everybody's going to agree with everything the dnr says and what there's certainly people don't get to, What yeah exactly no right? no yeah but, but it is very interesting to hear you know their logic in it and, and their, they're scientifically scientifically based, you know, uh, um, educated guesses on things, and they they believe the, the the fishery is doing very
0: very well. Well, they're the ones out there doing the research, right? I mean, it's easy to second guess the DNR. I don't agree with everything they do, and and sometimes you scratch their scratch your head and be like, why, why are they doing this? Is there there's obviously something going on that we don't know about? Something nefarious, uh, whatever but they're the ones out there doing the research, right? They're the ones out there doing the surveys, they're the ones out there doing the seining and and figuring things out. So it's, it's what we've got, you know, unless you're gonna go out there and do do your own research, you almost have to take their word, not, not saying their word is correct every single time, but they're the ones, you know, The I, I mostly believe the biologists on the, with their feet on the ground, the boots on the ground, they're the guys, you know, that care about it and that are out there that went to school for it, that know about it, so.
4: I uh well, I tell Brad, I'll, say, I'll say the other thing I'll say about it is, you know, when they're when they're doing all their their figuring and things like that, you know, they're about sustainability of the fishery, you right. know, and yeah, they're <laughs> cognizant of commerce and things like that. But it's no different than a resort owner, you know. People might say, well, a resort owner all they want to do is, you know, uh, catch as many fish as possible so their business is better. And quite honestly, you know, what a normal resort owner wants is sustainability of the fishery because without that fishery, they have very little you know nothing and and so it's it's all about sustaining our fishery right now they feel like our fishery is in really good shape the other thing i want to say is that when you get somebody putting out facebook posts or putting reports on you know facebook pages whatever about how you know lake of the woods is lake of the woods in trouble because there's too much fishing going on what month do you think that that those comments usually come out uh february february spot on you take a look, it's always February, and that's a little bit of a tougher fishing month. Yeah. And you know what? You don't hear him in December because fishing, you're hearing about 50 to 100 fish days in December, so you wouldn't do that month. January's still pretty darn good. You know, March, we're starting to melt already, and then the feedback's started to go on. You know, uh, you get out there in the boat, and you start catching these walleyes like, man, where were these freaking fish in February? Mm-hmm. So it's just very interesting what part of this is, based on what people are catching today, And what part of it is what's really going on with the lake. The other part of this equation that we don't talk about very much is just because you're not catching fish some days doesn't mean that the fish aren't there. Yeah. They might be in another part of the lake. They might be have so much food that they're not feeding today. There might be pressure systems coming through that that are causing these fish not to feed for, uh, a, a good uh, period at a time a lot of things going on out there you know
0: well, it was interesting when we were up there in february ice fishing and we we could not stop catching fish i mean it was pretty constant there may be little lulls here and there but granted most of them were you know smaller size sauger um we got a got got a perch we caught a um well it was mostly mostly sauger and uh and then the next day it was all soger in the morning, and then all of a sudden, the afternoon we caught a perch, a nice perch. We caught a nice pike. I caught like a sixteen-inch walleye. Like all of a sudden, something changed, and you could tell. Nice crop
4: he was yeah,
0: there was different fish, maybe just kind of roaming that basin, or the pressure had changed, or whatever. But it was clear that all of a sudden we were starting to catch some different fish that weren't there the day before, or weren't biting the day before. So, it's interesting how that worked. And it's fishing, I, even at Lake of the Woods, yep. you're still fishing. Now, I want to know. What, why do they think there was bad recruitment for those 14 to 17 inches that are out there right now? Do, do, do they have any theories on why there's fewer of those fish?
4: Well, I'd ask the question, can you take a look at spring weather patterns and determine what the recruitment of, you know, walleyes and how the spawning success was? And they said, you know, we're kind of looking at that a little bit, but it's very unscientific at this point. But, you know, ultimately what happens is, you know, when those eggs are laid, you know that water's got to warm up and that water warms up then those little eggs become little walleye embryos and such and you know if, if we get a cold spring and that water stays real cold it can really mess things up so there, there wasn't much said about it but um when they show the patterns from different year classes typically the patterns ebb and flow there's good patterns and they drop and they go up when they come down and that's normally a sign of a good fishery and that's really what we have going on up lake of the woods now we got a lot of small fish coming through the pipe too as you know and but the, the future looks bright you so the other thing is uh, sure is I mean, a lot of people would like to keep some of those big fish they they catch that are in the slot you got to take a picture of them and let them go. But man, I'll tell you a lot of those big 25 inch walleyes, if those fish, uh, if there wasn't a slot limit on them, those fish would be going home and coolers. The slot's the
0: best thing that happened to that lake in my, in my personal opinion. And according to the DNR, it sounds like, uh, walleyes are around four years old when they're 15 inches long. So if we were to look back four years ago and say, you know, what were the conditions on the Rainy River? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing ideas here, but maybe, maybe it was it was a high water year. Maybe a lot of current. Maybe there was maybe it was tough conditions for for the spawn or very cold water. I don't know. Maybe, maybe four and
4: four and five year fish. Yep. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yep. Huh. Well, I'm looking forward to being on that rainy river. Hopefully some more of the ice is gone by the time we talk next week or the time we're we're talking next week in person up at Riverbend Resort. It sounds like uh, we, when we recorded this on Wednesday, the 30th, um, River was getting close. To, the opening was
4: getting close to Birchdale, Joe. It's close. Yeah, it's it's about uh, now it's Wednesday. We're speaking today, Wednesday. It's a half mile east of the birchdale access and there are some people that are uh you know they're 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 safe, taking safety precautions they've done this before they're guides but they are pushing their 14 and 16 foot boats over the ice get into that open water they're catching fish upstream um but you know we're waiting for that bigger Bir- birchdale access to open up and we're a half mile away so again man mother nature dictates it can go fast but we've got some you know the days during the days it's above freezing and at night it's below freezing so oh, it's nip and tuck oh, dang it, man I, you know when I know. we have I, two weeks ago, I looked at the weather forecast
0: and it was all above zero forecasted with some temps in the mid-40s. I'm like, oh yeah, we're we're good. And then a week later, of course, it changed. And then there was like some below zero overnight temps. And I was like, oh gosh. So we've got this fish donkey fishing tournament coming up on the rainy here. And people are just waiting. You know, they're just waiting to sign up. They're waiting to make reservations because it's uh, it's probably going to be a game time decision. So we've we got our fingers crossed. We're looking forward to it. And this tournament is going to be all on the u.s side uh you have to stay on the u.s side for the tournament purposes but guys
4: can fish the ontario side joe you know we're getting some questions um from anglers hey joe if i want to go fish the canada side of the rainy river can i do that and the answer to that is you know yes you can however you know you, you can boat over to the ontario side of lake of the woods without calling in to check in with customs but if you do that you know, you, you got to, uh, you, you can't touch land, touch a dock. You can't exchange goods and services with anybody. You know, you uh, got to have an Ontario fishing license. You can't bring any kind of live or dead bait over with you. You can't have any alcohol in your boat. Now, Ontario, I believe has a one fish limit in the spring where you can keep one walleye that's 18.1 inches or greater. Now, with that being said, you are not allowed to boat over to Ontario catch a keeper walleye that's keeper over there and it's legal and boat across closed waters and technically catch and release only is considered closed waters Hmm. so you're not allowed to go catch walleye in ontario with an ontario license keep it and then come across closed waters on the u.s side uh, you know to to get back to your landing so if a person technically and you're not going to do this but if a person technically really wanted to go over and catch one keeper walleye they literally have to trailer across into ontario drop in on the Ontario side of the river, catch their walleye and pull their boat out and come back across and go through customs with it. So that's just, people are asking that question. So I wanted to give info. But the one thing that is new that people might not be familiar with is that if you're traveling from the US into Canada via, whether it's car or boat or anything, you cannot bring bait, live bait at all, live or dead bait into Ontario waters or into Canada. That that used to be different. It used to be that, back in the day just you know prior to i think of october 2020 i believe it was you could bring in um you know like night crawlers that were bedding in that soil you could bring in dead minnows or frozen minnows that is not the case anymore no live or dead bait across at all so that
0: 18.1 inches i saw you uh, cock your head a little bit there dan that's because they go by centimeters and, and
1: but it wasn't it wasn't that it was the fact that it's 18.1 or Greater, you think it'd be oh, uh, you think less. it'd be less for uh, interesting for this time of year, but uh, you can't you know? Canada's got their rules; they've got their own scientists, and uh,
0: so b- bottom line out of all of that, if you're going to fish. You know, from the U.S., don't keep a fish on the Ontario side.
4: That's. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you just don't want to keep If you're fishing in the rainy river in the spring, just plan on not catching keeping any fish. You don't need yeah. to. And you know what? Uh, you know, uh, if you're on the U.S. side, you can use live bait or dead bait. If you're on the Ontario side and you're boating across, no bait at all. No no live or dead bait if you're going into Canada waters
0: well looking forward to it next next week the 500th show from the rainy river we got a tournament on fish donkey we're watching the ice as it slowly opens up uh i've got no doubt we're gonna have fishable ice might get a little busy at the boat ramp so just plan for it be patient we're not starting the tournament until 9 a.m so you got plenty of time to get out there and get your boat ready and get in the water she's gonna be a little brisk It's going to be a little cool up there, Um, but it's uh, an unbelievable fishery in the spring. Joe, if people want to find out more about the Rainy River or planning a summer trip to Lake of the Woods, what should they
4: do? You know what? For real-time info, Facebook and Instagram, you know what? You want to find out more about uh, lodging and such? Check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Northern
0: Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at LakeoftheWoodsMN.com. That's LakeoftheWoodsMN.com. All right, welcome back. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here on the Sporting Journal Radio Network by downloading the podcast or by watching this on Facebook, YouTube, or wherever else you're uh, you're getting this content. Thank you very much. I went turkey hunting one year in North Dakota a while back. And uh, I remember... Sitting down against a tree, you're turkey hunting. That happens a lot. And I was sitting there for a little bit, and I had some toms off in the distance that I was trying to coax into into range. And so I'm not really paying attention to where I'm sitting. And all of a sudden, I felt something crawling on my neck, and I'm like, "Oh, okay. There's a there's a wood tick. Pull that off. Flick it." All of a sudden, I feel something else crawling. All of a sudden, I look down. I must have sat on some sort of nest because I I didn't stop counting until I was over a hundred uh, pulling ticks off me. It was. It was, uh, it was bad, it was a bad deal. And ticks are no joke, and uh, it's that time of year. I saw a post come up on uh, social media the other day, a guy had already pulled a couple of tips, ticks off of his dog here in uh, southwestern Minnesota. So we're gonna talk about tick prevention now, and we're gonna bring the Tick Terminator on the show, Brian Anderson, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great. Love talking about ticks. Gosh, I ugh, I don't. I <laughs> don't like them. But um, it's necessary to talk about them, especially for guys that go turkey hunting or guys that own dogs or anyone that spends time in the outdoors in the spring. Ticks, you're going to run into ticks and it's something that you need to take very seriously, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. Springtime is the time when they really come out, but they're out until snow falls in, in November. You know, sometimes heavier than other, you know, other times, but uh, they're definitely all out there.
0: You know, when I spent a lot of time in northwestern Wisconsin um, and we hunted, spent a lot of time hunting, grouse hunting or deer hunting, waterfowl hunting, we ran into them a lot in the fall. I'll be honest, here in western Minnesota, I, I don't, thankfully... I don't see them as often in the fall, but in the spring, it seems like um, there's been more and more of them every year. Maybe I'm spending more time in the outdoors too, but I see them more and more uh, every year, it seems like.
3: They, they, springtime is the most active time of the year. You got to understand, of course, because they've been kind of hibernating, you know, for the last several months, uh, and they come out and they're they're hungry, you know, like a bear looking for food. Uh, the, 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 the worst ones – that, that really get the most are called a little uh, uh, nymph tick that means they were born last summer and uh, now they're the size of a poppy seed I mean think about how small that is uh, they can get on your, your shoes your shoelaces uh, they can be a speck on your skin and you can't even hardly notice them so it, it's really really important to prevent them and protect yourself from them that's for sure and Did even you, that small, I was going to say, that small, uh, they can uh, be just as lethal as a full-grown adult. I don't like got, them. If they got Lyme disease right there. You can see on the far left is, is a newborn. Uh, the second one is, is a nymphic that I'm talking about right there. And that is teeny tiny. Yep. Hmm.
0: Where where are you out of, Brian?
3: Iron Mountain in the Upper Peninsula. of oh, okay. Upper. upper.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that, that's almost northern Wisconsinish too. That oh, I heard a th- I yeah, I heard a theory one time about why Wisconsin, because we were we always talked about, you know, we were in Polk County and we always heard that that northwestern part of Wisconsin is one of the worst parts for deer ticks and Lyme disease, and uh, you would know better than I would, but that's what that's what we always heard. I also heard that one of the theories was that you could look at a map of where Lyme disease has affected people and almost follow 94 through the, through the center part of Wisconsin as it cuts across Wisconsin because of all the deer hunters that would put deer on the back of their, you know, on top of their trucks or on their cargo carriers on the back and then the ticks would jump off these deer as they're ripping down the, the interstate and then spread out and that's how a lot of them traveled. Have you ever heard that before?
3: That's a new one.
0: Yeah,
3: T- ticks don't really jump or fly or, you know, drop from trees like a lot of people think. Uh, they're, they're basically opportunists. They're going to be on uh, little low lying grass and and brush, and uh, they're just waiting for somebody to come along that's got blood. Could be us. Could be an animal. And uh, they just—they're like hitchhikers. Ah, yeah. Gross. Ah. And uh, like that picture right there. That—that that is a female <laughs> giving birth. So. uh and they do that in the summertime
0: really that's what that is Wow, gross. Well, and maybe they were just blown off the back of the trucks too, who knows? I I, I don't know, that's yeah. that's quite the theory, but I don't like them. I know my dog brings them in the house a lot and I actually, getting prepared for this, we were talking about ticks and Lyme disease and then I dreamt about two giant engorged ticks on my dog and I was like, oh, I got to film this for the show tomorrow. <laughs> so thanks Thanks for giving me dreams about big old ticks. I think that's what? called a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. What got you so interested in uh, tick prevention?
3: Well, I've always kind of had a weird fascination with ticks since I was a little kid. Uh, I lived way downstate Michigan at the time, and uh, we'd go, come up to the Upper Peninsula here to visit my grandparents, and they had ticks here. And I remember them uh, getting on on us on occasion. The mom would do a tick check on us, which is very important to do. Uh, at the end of every day and during tick season and she would pull them off of us uh, like 5, 6 years old and we never had a problem with them never never talked about Lyme disease anything like that uh, fast forward to numerous years after that oh, probably actually like 10 years ago I really started looking into them more because my wife just hates them and uh, <laughs> nobody loves them anyways yeah. I got a buddy that almost died from Lyme disease and uh, he, he was just so weak because you know, we all know what Lyme disease does to people. And I just started looking at How can I prevent these? I would bring them in the house and in the basement and, and do testing with them and, and play with them, you know, for different smells, baking soda, and different repellents, see how I could repel them. So one thing led to another, and I find out that uh, – uh, uh, a lot of information out there about Lyme disease, but very little about prevention. So that's what really got me looking into that. And then I finally bumped in this product called Permethrin, which is absolutely by far without question, the best repellent that you can get for ticks out there on the market. Yeah, you so actually... That's been...
0: Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I was going to say you actually recommend using a combination of Permethrin and DEET?
3: Correct. That is the best... PPE, you know, is a new word to us, you know, personal protective equipment that you could possibly use deep down the skin, permit on your clothes and gear. And that you can't do anything better than that unless you stay inside and never go out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen, obviously. And <laughs> yeah, <I> know. <laughs> I've
3: know. i
0: always, you know, I, I, I understand that there's variations of bugs, uh, and you know, all across the world. I didn't, you know, I always thought of there being essentially two here in in the upper Midwest where I'm at. Uh, there's 10 to 15, I understand, in the United States now. And the one, I you know, like Lyme disease, no joke, and that scares me. But the Lone Star, what is it, the Lone Star tick? I like to eat yep. steak. That one scares me a lot.
3: Yeah, because that can give you what they call alpha-gal syndrome. But one thing for you, uh, since we live in upper Midwest, that is mostly in the southeastern eastern on the Atlantic shore board, you know, like, uh, the Carolinas, Georgia, Virginia, and that area, it's more prevalent there than it is here. Yeah. Hunters, they don't want to get that because we like to eat our red meat.
0: Yeah. It's an, it's a red meat allergy. That's just crazy to me. Um,
3: that's a bad one.
0: I know a few people that have either been affected or their dogs have gotten it or they have, um, you know, spouses or family members that might have it. And it's hard to diagnose, and it's it's uh, it's hard to diagnose, and it's best if you get to it early, and that's the problem, right? People don't get it diagnosed soon enough.
3: Absolutely. Uh, they call uh, Lyme disease the great imitator, because it mimics so many other diseases. Uh, because what's gonna happen is, is say somebody gets bit, and they have a bad reaction, Uh, the the bite really swells up, you may get a bullseye rash, they call it, Uh, or you feel achy joints, flu-like symptoms, they're a perfect example right there. Uh, If you see any of those symptoms, you don't wanna think about seeing a doctor, you wanna go to a a doctor for sure, because in a lot of cases in our area, they're gonna put you on an antibiotic, which is called doxycycline. Mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor and I don't play on a TV, but that's the, that's the most important thing. Like you said, there. early tree, early detection and early treatment is the absolute most important thing to do for sure.
0: So I went to tur- tur- Turkey hunted last year and, um, did not protect myself with permethrin like an idiot and wanted to kept saying I was going to do it. And then just, just never treated my clothes, never did it. All my buddies up there that I hunted with, they all had it. Uh, Didn't deal with the situation that I dealt with. I pulled ticks off every night and then you're not really gonna be able to see this in the picture, but, um, and I'm not even on the screen anyway, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, there you go. So I, I got bit by, uh, what I would consider a deer tick, I didn't find it till the next morning and it was stuck, stuck into me and that was kind of on my chest area and uh, it left that mark. Now obviously the thing that bit into me so you're gonna have a little bit of a mark after something bites into you like that but I, I was like, okay, this is, this is not cool. It's not the prototypical bullseye but my buddy's like, you go directly to the doctor, do not pass go, go directly to the doctor and ask for doxycycline immediately. So that's what I did, and the doctor's like, well, and I said, no, you're, give me the doxycycline and thank you very much, and that's what I did.
3: Yeah, that, I mean, that's a lot of just a safety thing there. Not all of them have it. You know. Now a deer tick is gonna look like this right here, their coloration, of course, I've got a stuffed tick, I even got a baby tick here too, you know, I mean, I'm going to take term, I got to be a little weird, weird, crazy, you know?
0: <laughs> so, yeah.
3: So I use this for demonstration purposes. Think about this. If you do have a tick on you, let's say it's stuck on you like this. Okay. The way you pull it off is even important too, because, uh, uh Brett, you don't want to tick off a tick. All right. Nah seems good there. <laughs> If you make it mad, it's, it's more have to puke the bad stuff in you. So yeah. you don't want to play around a lot with it. You want to use a, a, a fine tip tweezers and pull it straight up, okay? You don't want to really grab it by the body like we all have done, all right? So you want to take it gently off. When you have it off, I don't care if you use a sledgehammer a 30-06 to it or whatever you want to do. Lighter. <laughs> but
0: yeah. I burn them. I some burn people, every single one. People,
3: yeah. Burn them. I actually taught my grandkids uh, uh, what to do with a tick when they get one, they get it off with a little uh, a magnifying glass. You know, you can make it uh, so you can smoke them. You know? <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> do that on, on, on the sidewalk.
0: I I literally, I have, and this, I don't have a girlfriend now. This is going to deter me for ever getting one. Uh, I have an can ash. It? Yeah, I have an <laughs> ashtray in my kitchen next to my kitchen sink, and every tick I pull off, me or my dog goes in that ashtray and immediately gets burnt till it pops, hands down really? every time. So, so by the you know by middle of some by the middle of summer, if you look next to my sink in my kitchen, it's just like a tick graveyard, like incinerator. Well,
3: hopefully this year you'll since you have some permethrin now, you're going to have a heck of a lot less. A heck of a lot less. Yeah. Th- my mom and dad used to, used to pick them off the dog. They'd put them in a styrofoam cup. Then they'd put them in a microwave. Or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Their record was 163 one days.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, it's important. That's, that's I think a lot. a lot of times people don't realize just how tough those ticks are. And you can, you oh. know, pinch them or smash them or toss them or whatever. And they're just going to, most of the time, they're going to stay alive and just keep crawling and find find some other host to, to terrorize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you wrote something called the hidden cost of Lyme disease. What are the hidden costs?
3: Well, think about this. Uh, when somebody is, has such a, a debilitating illness, for example, they may miss out on, uh, the kid's soccer game. Okay. You don't think about that. Uh, you may eventually uh, lose your job because you're so weak, you just can't hardly function. While you're on your job, uh, you may not be able to do it as well because there's so many different symptoms. I mean, people have neurological symptoms along with motor skill symptoms. Sometimes they get Bell's palsy, which is kind of like half your face hanging down. Uh, uh, People have... uh, lost marriages, relationships, uh, things like that. Those are kind of hidden costs that we don't normally think about. Yeah. The financial costs can be just atrocious, terrible. I mean, people have spent anywhere, because if, if somebody does not realize that they have Lyme disease, and sometimes it's hard to figure it out, they may go through three, four, five, ten 10 different doctors before it's finally diagnosed properly. And the money that goes into that, I mean, people spend anywhere from uh, a few hundred to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Do you, and then the treatment is terrible. It's yeah. expensive.
0: It, it's, it's a lifestyle that I don't wish on anybody. Um, because no. it's, it's debilitating. Do you have any, any, you know, thoughts on the discussion of the, I hate calling it a conspiracy theory, but it's usually the word that the term that gets thrown around when you talk about it, but there's, there's some discussions about Lyme disease and the medical community. And, you know, uh, where you know, I know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where, whether yeah. or not it's legitimate or if, if you can actually treat it or that whole situation.
3: Yeah. So often it, it's, uh, uh, for doctors will sometimes will accuse their patients of just hey it's all in your head right you know it, it's so hard to pinpoint and well, another sad thing is that a lot of uh, insurance companies don't classify it as a real illness so they don't cover the costs. yeah so it, it's now I think we're starting to see a turn in it. That. so uh, that's helpful for for people
0: well, and I, I mean, I, I think if you do some Google searches, the CDC comes up in, in some of the talks, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm just talking about what I've seen on the internet, and I believe everything I read on the internet. But oh, yeah. The, uh, um, there's also, some people have said that maybe, what is it, ALS maybe is similar to Lyme disease? Is that, am I getting that right? Could be. There's There's uh. some big name
3: fibromyalgia multiple sclerosis
0: fibromyalgia Uh, for sure
3: yeah it it gets it it gets uh confused with those that's why i call it the great imitator because you know the uh just i mean just like somebody sucked the energy right out of your body yeah you know uh so yeah go ahead
0: well i was just i was just gonna bring up uh duration is uh something that you recommend
3: yeah yep and it's, that
0: uh, what is that got it right there yep. okay
3: that that is what he's showing right there on a the, on the little bottle there is a bottle of concentrate and and they have a little measuring cup on the top of there inside that box is a 32 ounce bottle that you just depending on how many cups you pour in there right there is, is how long that's going to last now what i do is i pour about four cups in that 32 uh, inch bottle fill it with water and that's good for 12 weeks mm. all right you can buy Permethrin over the you know like Cabela's and Walmart stuff like that and it's good for six weeks and six washes which is wonderful uh, most deterrence uh, uh, repellents are, are good for a few hours and you got to do it every day but Permethrin it actually when it's sprayed on it binds to the fabric and it stays through washings also. So the cool thing about what he's just showed there is that's a concentrate that puts the user in charge of how long it's gonna last. So it's pretty nice. It can last for three weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, nine weeks, up to 24 weeks.
0: Wow, and it kind of just walk us through quickly the process of how you use that then.
3: So you just uh, mix it you know, into the bottle but it was filled with water, shake it up, and then you spray it on your clothes. Now, it's best to do that outside, let's say, on a clothesline, uh, like what he's doing right there outside. Uh, how well it's going to work on rubber boots? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh,
0: but, well, he coats everything with the stuff.
3: Hey, that's fine, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not going to hurt him anyway, that's yeah. for sure. But spray it on the clothes. I actually write on my website, I talk about that too, the tickterminator.com, but uh, you spray it on your clothes until you can start to see them turn dark a little bit, because they're getting wet, and uh, do both sides all over on them, do boots also, because a lot of times ticks get on your boots first, and, and your socks, I kind of class, let's say turkey hunters, they have their, their turkey hunting clothes that they're going to wear every day for that season, so they spray them all up really good and they're good for the season. You know, so, you so uh, let you, it, let yeah, it dry you, overnight. Uh, okay.
0: That was my next. So you spray it and let it yep. dry.
3: Yep. Yep. You can actually use it when it's wet because I work with a lot of power companies and uh, the linemen. Uh, I mean, I don't recommend this, but, <laughs> but they're going to get all the trucks, spray right down and then they're going to walk through the grass. It'll work that way too it's just more convenient when it's all dry on you.
0: Sure. You know? Do you, do you hang it outside to dry or does it, does that help at all? Does it matter?
3: Uh, I I do it outside. I mean, I uh, sometimes I'll do it in my basement, you know, so, but you probably shouldn't say that, but, <laughs> <I do> that. <laughs> but Hey, don't put it around. Don't do it around cats, cats, uh, Unless you don't like the cats, so do
0: it around <laughs> cats is what you're saying. Okay.
3: <laughs> now dogs, dogs are fine. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, can I use it on my dog? Well, yeah, you can. But there's so many other good things for dogs out there. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard on cats. They have a totally different makeup than dogs and, hmm. and everything else.
0: Interesting. So, so it's uh, also a cat repellent. Perfect. <laughs> okay. <And> then, <laughs> it may really and hurt them. them. And uh, yeah. and then should you do you wear gloves when you spray this stuff down? You try to keep keep the yeah, permethrin you, you off your skin. You want.
3: I don't normally, but you, you don't spray it on your skin. I'm glad you brought up skin there because if you do spray it on your skin, you know, your natural oils will just dissipate it after about 15, 20 minutes, and then it's useless. Okay. So...
0: Deed on the skin, permethrin on the clothes, spray it, let it dry overnight. Correct. And then uh, you've got the best protection you can have. you got all the directions on your website as well too, the tickterminator.com. Um, it's it's a serious thing. And now that turkey season is here and temperatures are starting to warm up, we're gonna start hearing about ticks more and more. The tickterminator.com, Brian Anderson, uh, appreciate the time today on the show. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say to our, our listeners slash viewers?
3: I'll end with a poem, how's that? A poem, this might be the a first poem, poem, I poem wrote ever said about on the ticks. show.
0: A poem about ticks, all right, here we go.
3: Here's how it goes. I hate them little suckers, I wanna terminate them all. So I do it with permethrin, and love to watch them fall. From head to toe I spray myself, my shoes, socks, clothes, and hats, cause it works on more than ticks, like skeeters, chiggers, and even gnats. So I ask you if you're listening, to keep away from Lyme, Get started with Permethrin, and now is the perfect time. Thank you.
0: Hey, very good. I like it. The
3: first, Yes, yes, the crowd goes wild.
0: The, the first poem on Sporting <laughs> Journal Radio. Uh, very good. Brian Anderson, the tickterminator.com. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Devils Lake is legendary. And this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Hay Bale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Hay Bale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devils Lake today. Well, by now you've heard of the new regulations on Mille Lacs Lake, uh, one fish, 21 to 23 inches, and it's open, uh, I think for uh, for a little bit, a couple weeks, and then it closes completely, and then it's catching related. There- follow along, read all about it at sportingjournalradio.com and when you've got a lake like that that's a world class fishery and you're that close to the Twin Cities, it's going to get a lot of pressure on it and what happens and we're starting to see it on other bodies of water too what happens when you get a lot of fishing pressure on a body of water, you're going to end up with more regulations and smaller limits and it's starting to spread to other species as well too and we're we, we learned about it a couple years ago with uh, the Quality Bluegill Initiative when we filmed that Prairie Sportsman episode with Garrett's severe and there's been some uh there was some uh experimental regulations on different lakes well that's been expanded and there's some some new regs on different bodies of water when it comes to bluegills crappies other panfish and we're going to talk about it right now with eric osberg from otter tail lakes country because that's panfish paradise up there eric and uh, you've got some bodies of water in your county that are being affected as well
5: it it is you're absolutely right um uh, and, and I, I, you mentioned Garrett Sveer and I learned this from Garrett Sveer one of the f- first times I fished with him uh, he self regulates he's, he's a good self regulator right so he was the one that taught me the 9 inch rule and I didn't I had, you know I was pretty new to the world of bluegill fishing and he was like any bluegill that is 9 inches or bigger it's going back yeah. right? uh, and, and I believe he does, I don't want to speak for him but I believe he does that with his clients as well Mm-hmm. And, and and Garrett's specialty is trophy bluegills, right? And so, um, in our area, in Ottertail County, uh, these are small lakes. I mean, there's there's times where I'm fishing a body of water that might be 400 acres or less, and and the fishing pressure that you talk about is, you know, it wouldn't take long if if word got out on that about a hot bite on that small lake. It, it could get beat up pretty bad, especially if you're looking at, you know, what, what is normally a 20 fish limit. You know, you got four or five anglers. That's, that's 100 bluegills coming out of the water. Whereas yeah. if you're down to a five or a 10, you're talking 20, you know, that's, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. So, so yeah, I, you know, the, the, the new regs are out. The 2022 regulations are out. Um, I would encourage people to read the regulation book and the, the DNR actually has a very useful website. It's uh, uh, DNR or MNDNR, uh, dot gov backslash sunfish. And I think that's the right address mndnr.gov <laughs> backslash one of those,
0: sunfish. One of those state websites with a yeah. lot of dots and letters and stuff. But if you google it, I'm sure you could find it. If you google it, you can
5: find it. And it, it, it is super useful. I was, I was, I was. Really pleased when I saw it that all I had to do was find my region. We're in the northwest region, and then they've got the the, the bodies of water listed by uh, uh, by county, their, their, by county, and by by uh, the closest uh, you know DNR regional office. So there's a, like there, you guys found it. You're you're good at Googling. So if you if you scroll down a little bit, there's a there's right under the fold. There's a there's a tab. That uh, says lakes with QSI regulations, and uh, and then you can see the you see, can see the lakes in Otter Tail County that uh, have special
0: regulations for 2022. Did they change it from QBI to Quality Sunfish Initiative now? It
5: might, I I don't know what it used to be, but it's Quality Sunfish. I think they I, I don't want to speculate as to why, but uh, it, you know when you look at the reg book it's you know they you know pumpkin seeds and, and,
0: yeah, they're and they're, yeah they're all sunfish they're
5: all sunfish right so so the makes so sense the, it, it's you know if it, if the limit is 10 you know you can't have five bluegills and 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 10 uh pumpkin seeds yeah. it's it's 10
0: sunfish so I mean, yeah. it makes it, it. definitely makes sense. I just last time I, every time I've heard about it, it was a quality bluegill initiative. But uh, this is probably more biologically correct. And you said there's there, and and I know when we filmed with Garrett, we were in Ottertail County, but we made a point of not naming the lakes that we were on. We fished a couple of different lakes up there. Locals will recognize them. But we, you know, unless we're doing stuff on Malax or Lake of the Woods or something like that, I'm generally okay with not naming lakes because i know what that can do to a lake and 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 particularly when you got a vulnerable population of say trophy fish you really don't want to you want to protect them as much as you can and uh obviously you've got some great fishing in otter tail county and it's important to protect it
5: it is and and as a you know if if it's my job to promote the area I, i i can't ignore the fact that we have world-class pan fishing. I think that's one of our assets. I think that's a big reason that people come and visit and live here. But at the same time, I I think it's the Hippocratic oath, you know, do no harm. Doctors, you know, rule number one is do no harm. So as I'm promoting this area as a place to fish, I'm cognizant of the fact that I do not want to harm these fisheries. I don't want people to overfish them. I don't want there to be more people, more pressure than, than any of these lakes can handle. The good news, and I don't want to sound like a salesman, but the good news is there's over a thousand lakes in Ottertail County and you can't fish them all. They don't have public, all have public accesses, but even, you know, there's, there's many a Friday night or there's many a Saturday when I will be the only one on a body of water. And if I'm not the only one, I'll be one of two or three boats. Um, and so I, 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 I can't hide the fact that we have excellent pan fishing opportunities um, but I, I, I am worried. I don't I don't I don't want to be the reason that the fishing is worse than this year than it was last year. Um, but but again, you know, if, if if we can all kind of follow Garrett's lead yeah. and self regulate, right? Um, it, it, it 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 helps a lot. And and I I would say step one is knowing the rules. Know, you know, what body of water am I on? And and does this lake have special regulations? And if so. How do I,
0: how do I follow? So it looks, and obviously we encourage everybody to read the regs, but it looks like a lot of the regulations, these special regulations lower that limit to either five or 10 on a specific lake that doesn't reduce your your possession limit. So if you do bounce around to different lakes, you can still keep 20 in your possession, but only you know five or 10 or whatever the specific regs are for that lake uh, will apply. I know it doesn't look like there's any sort of uh, um, slot limits or anything like that. I know people have pushed for slot two and maybe that'll happen or nothing over, you know, nine or nine and a half or whatever the case may be. But for now it's just a daily limit of five or 10 on these uh, specific lakes.
2: And think, that's a good, that, go ahead. Do you think they'll put signs up the landings? I think they well?
5: do. I sure hope so. Yeah, I sure hope so. I, I,
2: and and to your point brett the
5: um there are some size regs on crappies like you'll see some lakes with a minimum size you know some i i i think the Lida lakes for example might have a, a, you know a, a 10 inch minimum or something like that or or that you know so so bluegills as far as i know it's basically to your point brett about the number of fish but then with crappies there are some size limits either minimum or maximum requirements on size that, that people need to be mindful of
0: as well. I got asked about this the other day and Garrett can explain it and biologists can explain it better better than I can. But when you take out too many of those trophy bluegills all of a sudden, cause they're, you know, especially during, you know, the spawning season and when they're protecting the nest, you take that bigger fish out, a smaller fish replaces it. And that starts to lower the genetic size of the fish in the lake. It's something along those lines. So when someone says, well, what they're bluegills, you know, what's the big deal? That's the big deal if you want to catch those 10, 11 inchers, uh, if you start keeping those fish, they're, they're hard to replace and some lakes will never replace them if you take them all out. So there's there's some biology involved there that's uh, above my pay grade that's, uh, that's important for these people to know. It's important for that message to get out there.
5: And, and I've, I've done a few stories with the DNR and so I've spent time with Garrett to get the the angler's perspective and not, not that the DNR aren't anglers as well, but I've, I've spent time with them and and there's there's kind of two main reasons and to garrett's point the genetics are important right like you get a you get the genetics of a big huge bluegill you want those genetics to be passed on but the other thing is the lifespan of a bluegill it they can live 18 to 20 years okay and they grow at about an inch a year so that 10 inch bluegill might only be 10 years old and they've got maybe seven or eight more years of, you know, as the king of the crop in the, in the reproductive system. So when you, when you think about the lifespan of a bluegill as 20 years, they grow an inch a year, and they've reached their full size at, at halfway point, they've got half of their life left to be reproducing. The other thing that taking those big bluegills out of the system does is little bluegills, okay? If little bluegills want to reproduce, they, they, they have to compete with those big bluegills. So they have to put their energy into growth. They don't get to reproduce until they become the big bluegill, right? So they're spending their youth growing and eating and growing and eating. You start taking those big bluegills out. Now those smaller bluegills can put energy into reproduction at an earlier age, thereby stunting the growth of the population. So whether it's, so whether it's growth, whether it's their genetics or whether it's their, their growth slash life slash reproduction cycle, there's a lot of reasons that every, I, I get sick to my stomach. I've, I've seen people keep big bluegills and I'm so overly protective. Now I get a little sick to my stomach. I've seen stringers of big bluegills and I'm like. Oh, that's so sad. But yeah. I get it, right? Like it's 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 within the it's it's not it's against legal. the rule. It's yeah. legal. I mean, and, and to each their own. But I, I just want to make I, I want to make people I want I want people to know what that what impact that's having on the fishery.
0: And I think a lot of people just don't know, and I didn't know, you know, I haven't fished for bluegills since I was, you know, uh, eight years old with dangling my feet off the end of the dock, you know, and, and, uh, I remember catching one, it was about 10 and a half inches. I caught it seven or eight years ago. And I remember freaking out, like, I was like, ah, we're bluegill fishing, whatever. They, they taste good. We'll catch a few for the frying pan. And I caught, I caught a big one. I remember seeing it in the hole and I actually went shoulder deep to, to scoop it out and was pretty excited about it and like, well, this is going to taste Delicious, and it was ten and a half inches, and I got I got just trashed for for doing it, you know. And I was like, well, I, I didn't know anything about it. Like I hadn't I hadn't caught a bluegill in probably 25 years because I just never cared about them really that much. I've learned so much in the last couple of years about bluegills due to this quality bluegill initiative that uh, you know it I, I'm not real happy with myself for. I was one. I kept one, and you know I don't want to keep any of them anymore, but. Uh, I, I didn't know and I think that's the case for a lot of people
5: it is and and I, I've probably bored you with this story before but but my boy's biggest bluegill my boy's personal best bluegill is 11 inches mm. and 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 if you take out a ruler and you look at 11 inches like it doesn't even seem possible when you see it on a ruler how could a bluegill get that big and this was a few years ago we were with Garrett when he caught it and and we you know, Talking your, at that at that time, he was probably six or seven. You know, talking your seven-year-old son into releasing yeah. an 11-inch bluegill right. is a hard conversation to have, but it's important. And, and it, 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 I was guiding. I, I'm not a professional guide, but I play one on the weekends sometimes. But I, I was guiding one weekend, and I had a group with me, and I was explaining, you know, and we had kids with us.
4: And I, was, I was,
5: and I set the I, I, set the tone right away. I said, listen, folks, any, we're looking for eight to eight and a half inch bluegills. That's the keeper zone. And we, we want to keep them variety because you don't want to just take every eight and a half inch out. But we're looking for a certain size. And if we get one that's nine inches or bigger, we're going to put it back. And the kids were like, well, why would we do that? And then I got to explain to them, well, that's a mommy fish or that's a daddy fish. And we want that mommy and daddy fish. you know.' So Again, oh boy that's a discussion
0: you don't need to have with
5: <laughs> yeah, kids sometimes
0: didn't go that far with it but, but by the end but
5: by the end of the trip they understood or at least they they weren't hesitant to throw a, a nine and a half blue inch a nine and a half inch bluegill back they were like this is a big one I think it's going back oh, that's and, great. and so it's um yeah, it's education have more having, exactly have more people talk about it and um and and getting some education out there
0: helps well and I the discussion i've had with people on on so many levels from walleyes to uh, crappies to, to pike and, and lake trout in this day and age you don't need to you don't need to catch a limit every day to have a couple of great meals of fried fish or however you want to cook it you don't need to put that trophy on the wall anymore to show it off to your friends or to stare at it you know and and be proud of it the rest of your life and say yep i caught the big one in the lake you can take a great photo of it now and you can get a replica made so the days of keeping all those big fish are gone it's just not it's just not necessary anymore and and it's going to trickle down to every species and that's why you're seeing people target so many other fish too like burbot or you know whitefish and and tulabies is uh people are experiencing the joy of fishing and feeling that tug on the end of your line and not depleting the resource at the same time and and a little education goes a long way when when uh when you need to convince somebody of that
5: did you ever watch gi joe when you were a kid remember the cartoon gi joe of course Yeah. Knowing is half the battle.
0: Knowing is half the battle. That, <laughs>
5: didn't, didn't, wasn't that in every episode or something? Like I loved GI I Joe when I was a kid, but knowing knowing is half the battle. And if and if we can just get more people to know, that's half the battle. The rest of it, you know, time will tell.
0: Well, everybody should know what's going on with limits and uh, check your regs. We've got a lot of stuff listed at sportingjournalradio.com. Of course, you can check out the DNR website. And if you want to learn more about fishing in Otter Tail Lakes Country, what should they do, Eric?
5: They can find their inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Did you know there are more than 1000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner
0: otter to find your inner otter go to ottertaillakescountry.com All right, thanks for tuning in on this station right here on the Sporting Journal Radio Network downloading this podcast maybe you're watching this on YouTube Facebook I don't know what we're going to get ourselves into right now this may be the most people we've ever had 100%. on the show at one time and uh, it's a great group of guys and this could this could be an epic show it's our it's our 499th show and and a lot of these people were going to be on the Whoa. 500 500 show next week too so this might be a, a uh an example of what you might might be getting our, we might be getting ourselves nobody's into next gonna week. come now yeah probably, <laughs> probably not but uh just in case since the river is still kind of frozen up there we figured we'd have you guys on a week early anyway and, and next week's gonna be a lot of talk about fishing this week we want to talk about turkey hunting so we've got uh well let's see we got ben we got sam Soholt we got Corey loffler and rue and uh, Ben Bredigan and Thor Nelson, and then there's Dan and David right there too. Uh, did we get everybody? Okay, good. How you guys doing? Doing great. Don't everybody talk at <laughs> once. Okay, good. Two thumbs up. Good, great. Corey, how's Rue doing? She's good. She's tightening up her uh motherly figure now
6: after the puppies are weaned and gone and i think she's loving life because she's not being chased around by eight wild little um, yellow labs anymore so she's oh just hanging out we're just we're just living the call shop life right now
0: how how is that moment for you the day the last pup leaves because everything's uh, it's probably pretty chaotic while they're around i know it's a lot of work but you probably enjoy it it's probably a little sad when they all leave
6: yeah, super sad. Um, knowing that I am too full of dogs right now, so I couldn't keep one because I was, I really, really wanted one of them, but um, had to just send them on their way. But oh man, the homes that they they all went to are absolutely top-notch like couldn't be better so we're super excited for them we've got a little private facebook group with all the puppy owners so we can you know keep updated um as they post pictures and videos of their progress and stuff so it's really cool um my girls took it let uh, I me mean, pretty hard i guess but uh <laughs> um, that's part of it so we just are super excited for for all the pups and their forever homes and just pumped to watch them do the things that they're going to do
0: i'm sure they get real attached to having them around and the whole family gets involved when when you're working with those pups i know so i'm sure they get they're uh, pretty sad when they leave you were down in texas you had a, a puppy delivery to texas and while you're down there you went turkey hunting
6: <laughs> yeah i flew uh flew the little yellow collared male uh down to houston dropped him off jumped in with jj gustafson uh lifetime decoys we went on a wild turkey chase that didn't end up uh, getting any turkeys down in south of houston uh stopped at a couple ranches called in uh we called at and located a bunch of turkeys except they were just on the neighbor's ranches so we didn't end up shooting a turkey but every oh man every about half hour we'd be walking through the woods trying to locate turkeys and we'd run up on some pigs, so we got plenty of shooting in, just no turkeys, a lot of naked though. so it was good.
0: Hey, that's probably a lot more meat than you get off a turkey anyway.
6: Yeah yeah, absolutely. Was.
0: Um I know you've you've chased pigs around with Sam uh down there before. Sam, you been you just bought a new place in Fargo, is that right? Sure
7: did. Yeah. It's uh uh, austin of the north as they call it
0: austin of the north <laughs> all right so you i you know what you have more patience than i do because i think when i move i'm just in such a hurry to get everything into the house that and then i try to fix stuff up or clean stuff up after everything's in you it looks like you're moving in in stages and actually refinishing floors before you move all the furniture in which is probably the smart way to do it
7: well, yeah, we, so we, we have a rental right now and our lease isn't up until the end of May. And so we were able to just like work on a bunch of projects prior to moving all of our furniture. And so um, I didn't really want to do the floors, but they kind of needed to be refinished. And so a quick trip to Menards and a rental and I have been uh, walking behind a power sander and an edger for a day and a half now. So as soon as the podcast is done, I'll be right back to sanding until uh, it's all cleaned off. I got one more round of the 80 grit left on the whole thing. And then I should be able to clean it all up and start finishing hopefully tomorrow.
0: Now, do you still have raccoon traps out while you're doing this? Or did you take a break from trapping?
7: Well, this this week uh, with the weather coming in that we just had last night and uh, all the house projects, I took a week, a five day break and then, but next Monday I'll be back out.
0: Those traps I think are great because that's the, you know, as, as someone uh, that has dogs and when you hear about there's, there's, oh, there's traps out there. The first thing you do is get a little bit nervous about it, but you got dog proof traps set up out there.
7: Yeah, they're pretty slick. Um, I hadn't really heard about them until a couple of years ago. Uh, some of the guys kind of in the Turkey world, uh, Dave Owens, Catman, Uh, some of those guys down south started to do this little thing you know save like whatever the hashtag was uh save the poles and they were using these dog proof raccoon traps and i was like man those are super interesting and then you know as time has gone on have just learned more about uh, how devastating raccoons are and ground nest predators are on turkey populations duck populations especially in the prairie pothole region pheasants quail anything that nests on the ground um and thought might as well add another season to the year and uh start trapping
0: Yeah, well, it looks a lot of fun. I know you got a big trapping, What do you got a raccoon camp, is that what you call it?
7: Well, so we had to cancel it. Um, So originally it was gonna be this coming weekend and had invited a whole pile of people from all over the country. And the the project was gonna be kind of raising awareness about ground nest predators and um, what you can do to kind of like help bird populations in your area. And uh, and then found out that non-residents cannot kill raccoons in the state of North Dakota.
4: What? Um, yeah. What? Yeah. So, what?
7: Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we started planning for next year um, already. I think we're going to do it down. Uh, Josh, my brother and I are going to host it. Um, I think we're going to host it down in Nebraska. As long as everyone can shoot them down there, or southern South Dakota non-residents can hunt them until. <laughs> Um, the end of or middle of March, I believe. Uh, but there's some different places that we can do it. So we're trying to figure out the best spot to do it where we can have the most impact, and uh, you know, maybe beat a little bit of the weather and beat some of the seasons before people are kind of too busy turkey hunting.
0: Interesting. I did not know that. That's you yeah. know, it's, I didn't either. <laughs> it's it, there's always some weird things when I, I suppose are they fur, considered fur bear? I suppose there's there's always some weird rules about fur bears. Yeah,
2: they. By state. You haven't been able to trap in non residents haven't been able to trap in North Dakota for quite a while. Oh really? Yeah, it's been a pretty long yeah. standing rule.
7: And and I would imagine that it's that the law was written uh to protect people that were making their livelihood on oh, trapping. sure. Um, you know, and and not in the too distant future past there were like, you know, raccoon furs were actually worth something, so it made sense to protect that for the local guys that were living here, you know, making money. Um but now it would be like nobody'll even buy um like raccoons, they'll drive by dry heights, but they won't buy them on the round right now because they're not worth anything.
0: Hey, hey, Ben, have you ever eaten raccoon? Oh, I—that's a good question.
8: I might have. <laughs> <laughs> that's. <laughs> let's just say there might have been a few beers involved. in this. You'll um, have that. I don't think. I don't think I ever have actually have you guys
0: you know I'm, I'm trying to remember if i had too, and i i think maybe i had a wild game feed one time where you were walking around a table true. sampling a bunch of stuff I'm, I'm sure i had it there but Corey, how do you prepare your raccoon uh,
6: i am not a raking connoisseur so i, not sure. I did have a recipe that i was going to try on this uh save the pulse raccoon camp um this weekend that got canceled, so I'll have to save that recipe till next year, and we'll talk about it on the 550-second
0: <laughs> episode. <laughs> there you go. Very good, Ben. I know you're a big turkey hunter. You're probably excited about it, but you've been you've been you've been pretty busy training those pups.
8: Yeah, I've been running dogs. Uh, the snow has come off at least the southern part of the Grouse Woods now, so um, getting the dogs ready for field trials this spring and. And then definitely sneak in some turkey hunting as well. The nice thing is, you know, I'll go field trial for one day and then you can go spend two or three days hunting. So I'm looking forward to it. But this weather isn't helping right now.
0: Right. When I know you were yeah. down at George Lyles and how I, I've told many people this. I want to build a, you know, a or build a new place. And I want to, I want the exact same setup that George has there.
8: Oh, it's so dialed out there. It's, I mean, just... Giant pole barn area, you know all heated dog kennels, nice man cave the place is just it's perfect for going out dog training and having a good time so
0: well and, and you can walk in with muddy boots and you don't have to worry about anything you got the dogs in there that's an indoor outdoor kennel type situation for the pups it's mm-hmm. a it's a pretty nice setup um, for sure and then so how how can you use as as somebody that is working with my dog out in the yard right now, doing a lot of training. How can I use on X in my dog training adventures, Ben?
8: Yeah. So one of the biggest thing is is I use a lot to find different grounds to train dogs on. So, um, you know, in a pointing dog situation, I'm looking for short grass areas with not a whole lot of terrain, so I can see the dog um, to to deliver corrections. And so you can go on the map and essentially go scout public areas up until in Minnesota, at least up until the 15th, you can run uh, on public lands. And then also look at private lands, areas that I don't think pheasants or any other nesting birds will be, so I'm not disturbing them. Um, And then in terms of you looking at retrievers, uh, finding good water is huge, right? There's so much, so many ponds around that are just surrounded by cattails and, um, you know, great for training in some situations, but in a lot of respects it's not. So going out and finding ponds with clean banks, different angles, things you can send them on, do swim by, et cetera. um, You can all scout that on your Onyx Hunt app.
0: I used it quite a bit last year when we were turkey hunting because I, I wanted to know how far I walked at the end of the day and uh, where I went, so I made a little, I, I set the route and made a track and uh, was able to follow, follow my journey on where I went and call that turkeys and just to see, I was curious just to see how much I moved around and chased the birds around and how far they traveled and things like that. So a, a lot of tools that you can do, especially when you're working in a new area. And I wanna bring Thor on, uh, who's joining us right now too. Thor, how's it going? It's going good. You travel a little bit chasing turkeys, don't you?
9: Uh, yeah, I do. I travel every every single year, pretty much, um, especially to Nebraska. I got family land down here, so it's really easy for me to come down. I got a shoe in every single year. Um, and that picture there, that's from last spring, uh, just about just about a year ago. I think a week, week and a year ago, something like that. Um, on my way back up from Texas, actually, where I killed a bird, I stopped by just to hunt for a day and uh, was lucky enough to harvest that that bird with the bow um, because Nebraska runs their early archery season from March 25th until I think the third weekend in April that uh, third Saturday is when they open their um, uh, their shotgun season so you get you get four weeks then or three and a half weeks to to hunt strictly with a bow and I, I I like that a lot and it's uh it's a good way to kick off the year for sure and kick off the season so
0: you're actually down there right now
9: Yes, I am right now. Yeah, I was hoping to be out in the blind already, but uh, or at least on the property, but it's probably better that I'm not since I'm on the radio show. Um, but <laughs> after, right. after I'm done with this, I'll be going and setting up a couple of ground blinds and putting
0: some birds to bed for tomorrow morning. Ah, very cool. What? How many can you shoot down there? You three? can shoot
9: three. Three. Yeah, it's, each license is $128 a piece, so not, not the worst in the world, but
0: for somebody that doesn't have land access down there if someone's just going to come down there and try to try to shoot birds like what how, how much public land is there or how likely is it for somebody traveling down there to get in on birds and, and have a, you know get a chance at three of them
9: well i know that nebraska does have the i believe it's the largest amount of non-resident hunters come and hunt every year here uh, and they do have a fair amount of public land. I can't really speak to hunting on it because I've just been kind of spoiled with hunting private my whole time down here. Um, but I know that there are guys that do find a lot of success in the public lands. But that typically runs along where the rivers are, like the Platte and the and the Missouri, typically on the north end of the state. Um, yeah, up in those areas. But you get a chance to shoot three of the four subspecies uh, here they got Rios, Merriams, and Easterns, and then hybrids. That's pretty much what's all on the properties that I hunt is uh, hybrids. So,
0: Corey, are you gonna have a? Uh, when are you gonna start making turkey calls up there at the DRC Call Company? because
6: i made i made one diaphragm last year for myself and i liked it a lot but <laughs> no plans to keep doing that
0: <laughs> you made you know like i've heard some some i guess i haven't been around a lot of great turkey callers, but some of the noises you were making on that thing and i think we might have a video um it i mean you were okay at it i guess you know
6: uh-oh
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool That's i mean that, it. To poorly
6: explain what I do for a living, I make animal noises.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you do a good job at it, and it was so cool. And I know you use your uh, crank call a lot as a to, as a locator. And but you had that, you had that. Can you find the video? It's we got a lot of videos to play. I know, but That's a just the one lone one. Yeah, we just spotted. We were scouting, and you had that. You yeah. found that one up in the tree. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's when you were hooting at him. Uh, and, I mean, I and he actually got him to gobble back. We didn't, we didn't hear it in that video, but he had, he did actually gobble back, which was pretty cool. But there should be another one there where you were actually calling at one of the birds, and um, uh, we gave Dan.
6: Hey, hey Thor, is there a bunch of sandhill cranes down in Nebraska right now?
9: I haven't really seen many on the drive down. I didn't see too many. Okay. Um, all right. And I'm not in the part of Nebraska that typically gets a big, um, big group of them during the springtime. That's a lot. That's a lot further west of
6: where I am. Okay. So, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we get a bunch of nesting pairs up here that are here all summer long. So we hear sandhills way up here in the northwest part of Minnesota, all turkey season and all summer and um i'll you know i'm always paying attention to what other animals are making noises and and um stirring up the turkeys and getting the the gobblers to shock gobble and it's like time and time again the sandhill crane is probably the most pr- productive um i think way way more pronounced than a crow flying over or something like that but uh yeah i i Really enjoy using that Sandhill Crane call to locate turkeys because I just don't think anyone else does. So, oh, there you go, right there. Let's hear it.
0: Nope.
9: Yeah, come on. <laughs> 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 I just saw
7: Corey and put him on speakerphone when I try to locate.
0: Turkeys. <laughs> uh. All right, I found that video. So you guys talk amongst yourselves here for a second. I'm gonna. <laughs> how is this gonna happen? I don't know. <laughs> this will be. Hold on. I'm gonna send
1: Dan this. What point in the recoil case? was so 1728. We gotta make an edit mark. Uh, 17 <laughs>
9: 1728.
1: <laughs> Fourth turkey hunt. Easy roll. <laughs> here, you try to make a noise on this yeah, thing. I've
2: never touched this thing. Oh, there you go, David. David. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Corey, how do I do it? Live um, oh. one end I've never nice touched this in my life. Kiss. This is the first time oh, touching this the screen call. Sure. i heard that before.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one tuned up yet.
2: I'll embarrass myself on the internet. Just I don't care. Try it. Think, oh, yeah. figure out how you think. <laughs> nope. That's, that's a good That's not it. Yep. That is not it.
1: Is this even the right end to blow in? <laughs> well, I watched this video, oh. I mean, it looks so right. I don't
7: know. Uh, we just did a podcast, I uh, just recorded one with Mike Chamberlain, the wild turkey doc. Oh, yeah. awesome. we were a awesome. why turkey shock gobble. and yeah, he was saying that they think it's because when, it's when the bird hears basically a certain frequency, so things hmm. like crows, geese, whatever, trucks, air brakes, whatever it might be, whatever that tone is, when that cuts across and that hits their ear, they'll react to it. Um, and so that was, I thought that was pretty interesting that it was more of a more of a certain tone thing than it
6: was like a specific sound or whatever.
0: Interesting, it, I hadn't heard that I,
6: before. I, I would totally agree with that. I've seen a lot of very similar things to that because when you're walking around and there's a noise that's made a long ways away, whether it's a turkey or a goose or a sandhill crane or even sometimes a crow, you. Stop in your tracks and try and decipher what the heck it is. And sometimes, like all of those sounds, if they're a long ways away, sound very similar to one another, right. especially
4: a goose honk. Yeah.
8: So Sam, did did he say anything about in terms of pressure? Because obviously, like the more pressure you get, a lot of the times you're not going to gobble as much. Did he talk about that at all?
7: Yeah. So he's he's in the middle of a research study. Um, they are they have um, they're studying the amount of turkey gobbles during the season. And they have these uh, listening devices that they put like 30 feet up in the tree, and uh, they they measure how many times the turkey gowl throughout the season, like uh, you know, like leading up to the season, and then when the pressure is the highest, and when it's when it, like later in the season. And uh, it's pretty crazy because when hunting pressure hits, birds will start to shut up, and even more so than that, there will be a hunter and a turkey like they'll put they'll have the hunters like carry gps's on them and they have collared turkeys and there will be hunters and turkeys basically like paralleling each other and the turkey is staying just far enough away because it knows that that hunter is there listening to him basically call all morning and then as soon as the hunter leaves then the turkey just goes and wanders around wherever it wants to um so pretty interesting studies that he's doing
8: and that's all through i mean isn't uh, turkeys for tomorrow are they supporting that
6: Turkey, turkey's for tomorrow. Sounds like lunch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there were a couple of moments up there last year, Corey, where it was uh, watching back some of the footage as we were getting ready for the show, all the footage that we're not going to be able to show for you right now, apparently. But it, like the way the sound echoed across and the way those cranes, between the cranes, and then there was, I think you were calling at one Tom and there was a, there was like a, blue teal that you got all riled up and he was kind of squawking back at us uh, I think that was part of the you know part of the fun of that trip is just hearing all the different animal noises that were out there and that's of course one of the beauties of being out there and and chasing birds around ticks are not so much fun and we had the tick terminator on the show here this week and uh, we talked a little bit about permethrin and Corey you've been a big proponent of Tick prevention and tick deterrence, and using permethrin and all that. And this year, though, you got a, a well, technically, I think it was last year, but this year you uh, you're promoting the new suit from Sitka that's treated with Insect Guard. What's it's got? What's it, What's it got on it?
6: Yeah, basically, it just has permethrin baked right into the fabric, so it's going to uh, it's going to prevent tick and mosquito. Um, any type of insects from landing and hanging out on that garment because it's a pr- permethrin is a, a uh, nerve agent that they hate, so they just hate being on it. And uh, I know Sam's a big fan of, of permethrin. I use it all year long to prevent mosquitoes because I'm usually dog training right in the evening when the mosquitoes come out. And so I'll be, I'll be dressed up in a long sleeve with a, with a hood like that. Maybe one of my Sitka shirts that's uh, yeah. treated with permethrin and yeah, it works really good for tick prevention, mosquito prevention all year long when we, when we have those buggers around, but yeah, for the most part, I'm kind of like scared to death of a lot of things that they can transmit. So it was more um, like out of fear why i started using it
0: <laughs> yeah well i don't blame you and i you know i did not come prepared last year i didn't have any anything sprayed on and i was the one that dealt with the ticks the most i think and i was i was constantly throwing them in that fire and then i mm-hmm. did have that one small one that bit into me and you immediately said go to your, go home go to your doctor and have them give you doxycycling today mm-hmm. don't even mess around absolutely with it.
6: Yeah. yeah i had one of those thing deer ticks embed itself in the very inside of my belly button about four years ago Moved it. and uh had no idea it was there just kind of felt some tenderness on my stomach and couldn't find it till the next day it was digging around in my belly button like <laughs> not, not super common but uh scared the me. so i went into the went in the doctor she just um said here you go here's prescription two pills of doxycycline i walked right over to the pharmacy connected to the clinic and uh grabbed my two pills walked to the uh water fountain down the hatch and good to go no no worries and so yeah if you have a uh if you have a (laughs) what was that Anyone else hear that or what is that just me?
0: <laughs>
6: was it a phone? It oh, was my phone vibrating against the window. <laughs> oh, it sounded nice. something different. <laughs> <laughs> Promise I'm not cutting parts over it's <laughs> <That laughs>
4: <is> so wet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, oh my gosh.
4: <laughs> right.
0: Come on. Yeah. I uh, so, I was uh, I'm editing this this uh, segment for Prairie Sports. Been right now, too, and uh, we were filming an eel pod episode, and. We were up in Northwoods, Northwoods Bait, up in, Northwoods uh, Bait and Tackle. In yeah, Bemidji. Northwoods yep. Bait and Tackle. And, uh, we were doing some interviews and filming or whatever, and, and I had to go to the bathroom. So I walked into the bathroom and did my thing, whatever. And, you know, here a month later, I'm watching the footage. Definitely still have my microphone on the whole time. I'm in there farting, I'm going to the bathroom and it's just like footage of, you know, close ups of jigs on the wall, you know? <laughs> oh man. Anyway, turkey podcast yeah. going <laughs> <laughs> off the rails. Ben, we're getting ready for turkeys here in Minnesota. Uh, how soon are you out there scouting and trying to find them before the season starts?
8: Oh, I'm out there right now. A lot of them are grouped up and whatnot, so you can find the big concentrations. And pretty soon here, they're going to start dispersing. But uh, a lot of the times, they won't go far. And this is a great time because nobody's out chasing them. They're out in fields sucking up all that moisture from the that hot spring or i shouldn't say hot spring anymore but it uh just soaking up that sunshine so you'll find them out in the fields and then you can you go back to a lot of those same locations or adjacent locations and uh and ask permission or or you know start to pattern them so
0: are you a um, shotgun shotgun guy you chase him with a bow at all no, turkeys,
8: turkeys were put on this earth to
0: be shot in the head with a shotgun.
8: <laughs> and that, that is a quote from Will Primos directly.
0: Yeah. Well, he's not wrong. I uh, I had to be convinced. I, I chased him with a, with a bow the first year I ever hunted him. And, um, and when I didn't shoot one on the last day of the season, I shot one with a shotgun and then I chased you know? him with a bow for a number of years. And I finally, like last year I made the switch, I'm never chasing with a bow again. And Dan what did i tell you dan i don't know you i was convinced
1: and that I, this is what i was going to chase him with a bow for one reason only because springs this is when i was going to school in bemidji there's nothing to do in the spring ice fishing you're sick of ice fishing so there's nothing to do it's like well what do i want to do well it's turkey hunt i don't want to turkey hunt for one week and yeah. you know you get the extra weeks in the back so i'm like i don't i probably won't even shoot a bird but we're going to turkey hunt for a month and a half this is going to be great we're going to sit in the woods we're going to eat donuts drink coffee whatever it's going to be awesome. Well. Uh, I don't know. Everyone says it was so hard, and you're like, "Ah, I mean, you're, it's going to be tough." I told him to get ready for a disappointment. Uh, the <laughs> season, my season, lasted <laughs> it lasted uh, forty-five minutes, Shoot. and. uh shot my first bird, we were done. And I was, I was like, kind of, kind of irritated because I was like- <laughs> That's the whole point. I wanted to, keep, to I wanted out. to keep yeah. hunting. Yeah, I'm like, and so now I'm done. And well, now I'm, what am I going to do in spring in Bemidji? And I don't know, what did, I think I filmed you Thor, or I don't know what I did yeah, the rest you, of this. Yeah, came
9: out on a couple of hunts with me, because I remember that season, that was uh, 2020. So that was when school was shut down essentially because yeah. of COVID and I put, I put my academics on the back burner and I think I hunted 37 days for turkeys that season. Jeez! And all of course, yeah, that was the most frustrating thing. Cause I was hunting a lot of it without a ground blind too, and I didn't have one of those. Uh, um, didn't have one of those like uh, full strut attachments for my decoys. I didn't want to get shot because that would totally happen on public land, especially so, uh, up there. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of uneducated um guys that are very new to it because they've only been around for about the past. I don't know what 10 15 years up in the northern part of the state not not long they're relatively new so yeah there's a lot of guys that are trying it for the first time and I know when COVID happened a lot of people tried it for the first time and some of the public land spots that I hunted most of the like calling from other people you'd hear they'd just be driving down the road and rolling down their window and and ripping a box call out the window and that was that was all they did and if they didn't get a gobble they just kept on going so but yeah that was a tough season to uh, eat a tag that was a rough one
0: Corey, do we, need to get, the, do we need to get him sent the, a new sweatshirt, Corey? Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I
6: realized, realized that when started here, I'm like, oh, that's probably the
9: worst thing I could it, be wearing right now.
6: In uh, in Minnesota, the kids, youth can hunt the entire season with whatever weapon they choose. So I did a career day at the middle school. I've done that like tried to do it every year for the last mm. quite a few years maybe 10 years and i would bring a sign up sheet with me to career day and then i would ask him after the my presentation was done um if there was any kids that wanted to go turkey hunting so i would just have a whole list of kids lined up that ready to go turkey hunting so like i didn't have to take any days off ever because i'd just go down the list like hey you and your dad want to go your dad mom parent whatever you want to go turkey hunting tonight then i would just go down the list and find one that was ready to go and we'd line up some um line up a turkey hunt for that night or the next morning whatever it was so um that's been my game plan for that for the last quite a while just kids take them out take them out they can hunt whenever all the time and oh man it's there's just nothing i, I really don't get too much of a thrill out of pulling trigger on a turkey i just don't care about it i love eating them and i just love calling them in for anyone else so it's best uh best of both worlds oh there's little eva there Man. my little three-year-old piled one up <coughs> sure that's a pretty good video to check out
0: how many three-year-olds have you taken turkey hunting now Corey? Two. that have been, su- that have been successful
6: yep two two, three-year-old kids. There's an art. There's a lot of prep involved in that. That's not just like, hey, you're three. It's time to go turkey hunting. There's <laughs> there's a lot of prep involved with uh, just getting them situated and used to the gun. And then we don't try. We don't push to fill a tag whatsoever. If the stars align and things happen um, the way they want to happen, and then if the opportunity presents itself, then, then we take them. But uh, no, we eva and i were turkey hunting she had these headphones on uh we had a little bit of um mickey mouse clubhouse going on youtube (laughs) on the phone i was cooking stew on the i do the same
0: thing (laughs) (laughs) successful i love it (laughs) that's cool um You know, hey, that's and that's one way getting kids out, right? And uh, Mm -hmm. getting them out into the outdoors. And it it is pretty interesting when you talk about Northern Minnesota and the turkey population and how it's grown, because it they haven't been up there for that long, right?
6: Correct. Yeah, they were this flock of of birds that I'm chasing is was all reintroduced by the DNR, and they pretty much just exploded. And uh, oh man, from where they dropped them off, I know I've chased turkeys thirty. Five miles away from the spot where they dropped them off, and whether they're the descendants of those birds, I'm not real positive. Or if they're private flocks that um, uh, that, that that expanded, I'm not real positive. But um, yeah, they cover a, a pretty big area up here and expanding every year. So,
0: Sam, you talked about um, saving the poults or, or trapping to protect them a little bit. Is that is that are we going to learn more about turkeys and how to protect them? Is that the kind of stuff we're going to hear about on the podcast that you're hosting?
7: Uh, yeah. So the the podcast that we did was a little bit more kind of an A to Z on everything turkey hunting related. Uh, it was kind of geared towards new hunters, new turkey hunters, but also with enough information where people who have done it for a long time can learn something. So we, uh, Ben and I just did the first one ourselves and we talked about kind of the state of the union of the wild turkey and, and the fact that there's some populations that are diminishing, some populations are still exploding. Uh, and then we went down the line. So we went um, to we had Will Primos on, talked about like kind of the describing the modern turkey hunter. And then we talked to Mike Chamberlain and he talked all about turkey biology and you know, kind of what the, what the turkey is able to do. Uh, and then we went through like Turkey hunting gear with Lake pickle. Uh, and then we had two guys on, um, back to back. We had Dave Owens and then Jason Hart, uh, two guys of, of like a little over tw- a group of a 20 that have killed, um, a bird in all 49 States that you can hunt mm-hmm. them in. Cool. And then, um, yeah. And then we had Jesse Griffiths on talking about cooking them. So we kind <clears> of <throat> tried to cover everything from like what is turkey hunting to actually turkey hunting to then eating the bird at the end um, was kind of the, the game plan.
0: How did he cook it?
7: So he, uh, he likes to do it super simple. Um, he does like turkey nuggets um, and then like does like a real slow cook on the legs. Um, mm-hmm. So with the, he'll take a breast or whatever and then chunk it up, pull the, you know, tendons out and uh, pull out the, the fat tissue, but yeah, chunk it up. Or brine it first and then chunk it up and then batter it and fry
0: it. Deep fry it. Yeah. He's like, I just like to
7: keep it as simple as possible and, and delicious. And then on the, on the leg side of things, he's, you know, typically doing like a crock pot meal with a little bit of Mm. stock and just letting it like cook all day and and break apart.
6: So.
0: I love the crock pot for my goose legs. Uh, they just did some snow goose legs in there yesterday as a matter of fact. But I'll tell you what, the first wild turkey I shot I just barbecued them I, I cooked them on the grill I don't remember this is a while ago so I don't remember how long I cooked them for or anything like that but it was just a regular gas grill and I I just mm-hmm. grilled them and I could not believe how good the flavor was and I just mm-hmm. I, I might have seasoned them a little bit maybe threw some barbecue sauce on there but they were delicious
7: yeah it's awesome so you went full like uh, renaissance festival turkey <laughs> that's <style>. exactly
0: <laughs> what I was trying to do because the big old turkey legs that you can get I used to get them at at Con, you know concert festivals or whatever or renaissance mm-hmm. festival or, or wherever else but yeah that's exactly what i was thinking is because uh, if i see a turkey leg at a at a county fair or whatever i have to get it i don't care yep. if i'm hungry or not i just yeah. like walking around with a big hunk of meat and yep. you know whatever uh you got to do it so yeah that's exactly what i was thinking when i threw them on the grill and and just uh, the natural flavor i was surprised just how good the the natural flavor was because I had been warned, ah, you're not going to like the flavor, that that wild bird's going to be, you know, kind of gamey, whatever. And that was delicious. I really like it. Yeah, it's it. amazing. Yeah,
3: I,
7: wild turkey's like, you get to, it actually tastes like turkey, which is nice. Um, and I, I like to do, um, I've got a couple different ways. I really like doing like a pozole verde, like a soup, like a kind of a mm. Mexican um, soup. And it's amazing. You just throw a whole turkey breast in the crock pot with uh, tomatillos and onion and jalapeno and some chicken stock and you let that cook down. And then you blend the veggies um, and shred the meat. You add hominy and uh, cilantro into it mm. and then just let it cook for a little while and then you just, it's, it's amazing.
0: I got to get start getting more fancy with my wild game cooking. And you but. can't keep doing your uh, meat cheese and tortilla
1: taco. It's a taco though, man. <laughs> it, 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 so I'm good. not going to argue on that. It, so it is good. good but there's so
0: many it's, more flavors I out know, there but for you know, but it's so simple and I'm busy, whatever. It's quick and easy. Like I I we joke about me starting to film cooking segments for Prairie Sportsman as like the like the basic wild game chef. Like I <laughs> you know, the easiest, yeah, the easiest way to cook it and make it taste good with the simplest recipe and the least amount of ingredients. And money, pasta sides. <laughs> <laughs> one dollar <Yeah>. rice maroni.
1: That's <laughs> so good though. And it is good. Oh man. I, I do have a
4: couple um, a couple pointers. Got Red spice kit
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've got
0: one too many of those You gotta same. throw some Creole seasoning in there. Some Tony Saturdays, though. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to
6: tenderize the legs mm-hmm. and thighs before, if you want to try and, and uh, renaissance man those things on the grill, I would suggest a very acidic marinade. Mm-hmm. Inject a marinade into those, and that acid, um, like typically is fruit juices, uh, uh, pineapple juice is like – pound for pound has the most acid so that would um, break that tissue down but those gobblers that we're shooting might be two three four years old and they've spent the majority of that time standing on those legs so they're pretty tough so you want to try and tenderize them as much as possible and um, a little bit of hot sauce apple juice orange juice a little bit of pineapple juice um, some salt some brown sugar mix that up inject them with that, leave them in that injection in a bowl in the fridge for about two days. And you will find that you can actually grill them and eat them after that. So,
0: well, after as watching you work the flat top a little bit, I, uh, I want to work a flat top. I got, I bought a blackstone. So I'm going to work that into my, 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 my cooking repertoire a little bit, but I want to, I am see the pheasants forever banquet, uh, east medicine in granite falls the other night and and when i MC things a lot of times i MC'd a du banquet once and i was like yeah yeah here's 10 bucks here's 20 bucks i was throwing money and everything just to kind of you know donate money or whatever i won everything like i kept announcing my name as the winner of all the big prizes and i was like okay i can't do this anymore so now I, i've kind of scaled back i still try to put money in but i don't like You know, it's always fun to win, but now, now when you're the MC and you got 350 people in the room that have also put money into that thing, so they were doing some contests, some of the walk-around contests the other night and they had it was a deck of 52 cards they sell them for 10 bucks a piece or whatever and they rip the card in half and then 52 people go into the drawing for whatever the prize is so when they'd get down to a few and they weren't selling anymore i'd always be like all right i'm going to throw some money in and that usually gets before the person even gets back to me somebody ends up buying all the cards and i never get into it well i got the last one for this big giant four hundred dollar smoker the other day and, and guess who won it? The only thing I put money in, in this bangle, I threw 10 bucks in one contest, I win a $400 smoker. So I've got this master built, is that what Yeah, like it was master a master built, built yeah. Uh, this giant smoker, apparently, Congratulations. Yes, thank you. For t- thank you. <laughs> apparently can do 16 chickens at once. So um, yeah, I'm kind of excited to try smoking. You know, I've got a pellet grill that I use all the time. I enjoy that, um, but I'm kind of anxious to try try using the smoker out a little bit. I haven't really, do uh, you, guys, you guys use smokers much anymore? Pellet grill? Or the pellet grill. pellet grill, yeah, yeah. I've got a
2: vertical yeah. smoker I use quite a bit. Yeah, what
0: yeah. do you like to put in there?
2: I do a lot of jerky and sticks and um, like pork roasts I'll do in there and pretty much everything you do on a Traeger or Pellet Grill, but just takes longer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love the Pellet Grill. And, I, and one of these days, I'm going to make uh, an igloo dehydrator and make some stuff like, uh, like Corey did <laughs> when, you were, when, you were, when you had to build uh, the, the Quincy to dehydrate stuff. Wasn't, weren't you smoking or dehydrating something out there?
6: I uh, smoke dehydrating in the igloo in the front yard in the yeah. middle of winter to make honker <laughs> jerky. Turned out awesome. Best hunker I've ever had. Uh, uh,
8: yeah, how many
6: it. raccoons do you think is equivalent to 16 chickens? That's yeah, right. how many
8: raccoons could you fit in that smoker? <laughs> I well, I'll well, know that for what, sure. What it's, two, 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 it's two? It's two, Ben? <laughs> yeah. yep. Yeah, it's, if you just Google it, it's pretty readily available. <laughs> what, what Google do you use? <laughs> All right, this, My this... Ass Jeeves is what I use.
0: <laughs> what is the weirdest out of this group? What's the weirdest wild game that someone in this uh, on this podcast has eaten?
7: Uh, well, you guys asked about raccoons. Oh. I ate Kuatamundi. What? It's like a raccoon, but it's kind of it. like a mix between a raccoon and a monkey. Whoa, <laughs> where'd you have that? So down in Arizona, you can shoot one in Arizona. Uh, and one of the guys on the trip shot one. And if you've ever seen them, if you've never seen one, they, they look a lot like a raccoon, but their tail is kind of like it goes up and then it curves back um, or like curves forward towards its head. And, uh, but they run around in troops. So there will be like 40 <laughs> Guatamundes in a troop. Um, and the, the big males can be aggressive. But anyway, a guy shot one in camp. <laughs> and uh, one of the other guys was going to cook it, and Hank Shaw happened to be in camp. And oh, cool! He, the the guy that was going to cook it was just going to like toss it on the grill, and Hank was like, <laughs> yeah, like so pissed off, he just like <laughs> stole the <laughs> money and made it himself, and uh, turned it into like braised it all day, and then basically turned it into like um like barbecued it and threw it on the grill to finish it off, and it was it all it tasted like chicken wings, huh. um, yeah. I didn't I can, eat a lot of it. I just couldn't get my head around eating that thing. Right. Um, but then had wolf tacos last summer.
0: Oh, really? hmm How were those? Those were pretty
7: good. Really good. Yeah. Uh, they made them on, uh, out at the rendezvous on the the guys that run the Birch Barrel booth. They made them, kind of cooked them like a, uh, a brisket, like just cooked them real slow and low all day until they hit, like I think it was like 204 degrees and then just shredded it. And uh, had street tacos. It was delicious.
0: I've had Timberwolf. Or I've had Timberwolf with Corey, as a matter of fact. And uh, yeah, Corey cooked it up. It was pretty good. But like that was that's probably the strangest wall game that I've probably eaten. But when you showed up. And you showed up and you pulled a rattlesnake out of your pocket (laughs) and said, here, cook this on the grill for me, would you? I was cooking. I was making doves. I was cooking doves. next thing I know there's a rattlesnake on the grill next to me. Okay. I got, I guess I'm in charge of cooking the snake. Okay. (laughs) It was good. I liked it. Yeah. All right. Corey, what is that? What, what do you, what can you add to this conversation?
6: Oh, I mean, do you want to know?
1: <laughs> you can say whatever you want on podcasts.
6: Uh, pig fetuses.
0: Ooh. That big, I mean, that's, that's like V. Kind of. Yeah. I have photos. I remember yeah. that. I think I saw a picture, actually. You've got my email. Can you send I those over, see those out. pictures? Yeah.
8: How did you get into that situation? Like, what, what? things in your life led you down there <laughs>
6: <laughs> um guns texas um, texas and then yeah I and mean. then pigs died and they were pregnant and then i deboned hey. them and went digging hey. around and by golly there was some pretty nice fetuses inside of there so i put them on the grill that's what I did. <laughs> Do you think it's going like, it to out like a veal almost or what? Uh, hold on. What's that? Kind of like be like a piglet veal? I, I mean, if you want to know, it tasted so much like milk. It was weird. Mm. It was awkward.
2: Very awkward. Very
6: <laughs> awkward. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> <laughs>
8: <laughs> oh, I don't know where to go after yeah. this guys
0: <laughs> We're winning a Marconi for sure well, this year We're officially off dork. the rails It only took us an hour to get there <laughs> 45 minutes to be exact <laughs> <laughs> how did, I want to know How did it taste How does something taste like milk
6: I don't know It didn't taste like meat really It tasted Bland I don't know. How did, how did to you explain it?
0: Did you cook it to 165? I mean, what, <laughs> you, like, what,
6: <laughs> did you? You've been to it Texas with milk? me? <laughs> oh <milk>. my
0: gosh.
6: <laughs> wow. Put it right on the spit, smoked it over, yeah. grilled it over mesquite. <laughs> uh, I did not
7: partake in eating any of that. <laughs>
0: no, nobody <laughs> ate half monkey, half. <laughs> Raccoon. <laughs> half raccoon yeah but, it,
7: but you're talking about a raccoon cooked by hank
0: shaw yeah that's true you know it's funny i can see hank pulling rank in that situation and be like no, no 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 give that give that half half raccoon to me and uh i bet it was good i bet he was excited had he ever cooked something like that before
6: no,
7: um, I think he'd cooked raccoon, so, you yeah. know, very similar, like, up to that, but on that same trip, I had shot a cottontail, and I, I've never really shot rabbits, but I brought it back to cook, and uh, I was going to clean it, and he's like, have you ever done that before? And I was like, no, you, you want to show me how? And he goes, just just give it to me. He's like, I literally wrote the book on this, <laughs> <And> he just... <laughs> Took the rabbit and like, you know, pop, pop, like done. And I was like, okay, glad I learned that one. He did actually
0: write the book on it right there. Yeah.
7: Yeah. He wasn't lying. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) David, you shot a rabbit or
2: two. Yeah. I've killed a few. (laughs) (laughs) We do an annual rabbit hunt with all my buddies every year. How many did you shoot this Uh, year? uh, 69. 69. When did you get rid of the carcasses? Two weeks ago <laughs> we do it on black
0: friday oh day after thanksgiving <laughs> oh <my God.
2: laughs>
0: well i'm sure uh i bet hank was pretty excited to cook that up and i anytime he gets the chance to cook something new up i bet he's pretty excited about it And i bet it was delicious as well too uh, ben did we hear from you ben and thor what's what's your wildest meal
8: my probably the wildest for me would be nutria
0: Oh, which is <laughs>
8: like a fever <laughs> slash grass right. that lives down in Louisiana. How was that? It was fine, yeah. I mean, it was, it tasted, it wasn't anything crazy, but down there, they're really, they're invasive, destroy a lot of that, the, that aquatic ecosystems down there. So have a big time, go drive around on an airboat or whatever and shoot them and like, what the heck, let's try to eat it. And it was, it was fine.
0: You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you can take just about anything and if you process it and care for it and cook it the right way, you can make it taste good. Um, Thor, what about you?
9: Um, honestly, nothing that crazy probably you know i have obviously had rabbit squirrel all that stuff uh probably the grossest was just a plain merganser breast because we wanted to be whether or not like they were that terrible you know there's a ton of common mergansers that fly around leech lake uh during late season and when and I aren't flying there's plenty of mergansers to go around and um i remember i was like oh they can't be that bad they're yeah they're god awful so how'd you cook them
1: huh how'd you cook them because i've had i've had good merganser
9: well, that, that was the thing is I didn't use any marinade, didn't use any. I, I just wanted to see how they tasted plain fried in butter with a uh, little bit yeah, of salt yeah. and pepper. Yeah, no, it's a very fishy aftertaste on them sawbills. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll let, them, let them pass croc, next time. crock bottom, and
1: they taste just
9: like a gold knife. shoot typically, them all typically just throw them in a big old marinade bowl, and they taste all the same after sitting in there for a week. But... Uh, fresh merganser, I, I don't recommend
0: yeah I mean how good is a golden eye too at that point well really? that's <laughs> why they all taste the same yeah, as good as a merganzer. <laughs> i mean, but come on yeah.
6: alright guys I plucked and I plucked and spatchcocked a merganzer in North Dakota a couple years ago and I threw it on the flat top just for rue like simply to feed it to her And one of the guys in the camp didn't know what I was doing. He was inside while I was, this was going on and he stepped outside onto the deck and smelled it. And he said, who's frying fish? (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Well,
0: I'll finish this. I think I've told this story on the show before. Maybe I told it recently, but um, if you see a bunch of mergansers and a bunch of bald eagles, the eagles will watch those mergansers dive down, catch fish, and so when the merganser comes up to the surface to eat it, the eagles will dive-bomb them, make them drop the fish, and then steal the fish from them. So there's wow. Wow. A, there's a little bald eagle story for you to wrap up the show. Uh, Sam, Corey, Ben, Thor, Dan, David, uh, good luck this turkey season, and uh, thanks for the time today on the show. Absolutely.
7: Thanks for having
0: me. Thank on. you. Peace, gentlemen. Yes, And stay tuned for more pig fetus recipes. (laughs) Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.